Super Talk Mississippi media production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi with you on Friday. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey will join us in just a few minutes. Sports Talk available every day online at supertalk.fm if you're not close to a radio station and always available via podcast after the show is over. If you miss anything, you can go back and you can listen. I was actually typing a tweet right as we came on trying to uh, finish this out. Uh, just got an email from the Southeastern Conference, a release from them. The release says, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has publicly reprimanded and levied a fine of $25,000 to Mississippi State head basketball coach Ben Howland for his comments about private communication with the conference office related to officiating. The comments were made during a press conference on Monday following Mississippi State's basketball contest with LSU on January 11th, it's a violation of bylaw 10.5.4, which prohibits coaches, players, and support personnel from all public criticism of officials and from making any specific communications with conference office related to officiating. I guess it should be making that news public. So um, $25,000 fine for Ben Hallen. Hey, Dad, what did he say on Monday that uh, would have drawn the ire of the conference office? He said that he had had a conversation with, uh, I guess, whoever the director of officiating is for, for men's basketball. I don't know the name. Uh, that they had missed a call on uh, where Reggie Perry was fouled directly in front of an official and wasn't called. And that they also missed the call uh, towards the end of the game where Abdullah Du was blocked from behind. And they called a, hell, a jump ball on that. And uh, LSU got possession out of it. So he talked about those publicly. And uh, I guess that's, you know, this is pretty funny to me as a guy who constantly berates officials on the show that yeah we screwed up but don't talk about it you know so whatever mm, he's got the go. money so, yeah so 25 <laughs> yeah but nobody's whether you've got the money or not you're not excited about uh, giving away twenty five thousand dollars but that's what uh, ben Howland will do so uh you know maybe he gets away with it if he just talks about a couple of uh fouls that he thinks are missed uh, but he talked about the fact that uh, he had communicated with the league office about that, and uh, you can't do that. So there you go, $25,000 lighter in the pocket for uh, Ben Howland going into 
the weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi, glad to have you along. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, the number is 601-879-4395. C Spire reminds you about the C Spire Health app. Experience healthcare on call with the C Spire Health app. Skip the waiting room and get treated by a UMMC clinician right from your phone from anywhere in Mississippi. Plus, for a limited time, if you're a C Spire customer, visits are just $29. Try it out. Avoid the waiting room, avoid the lines, avoid the germs. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Glad to have you along. Got a bunch to uh, get to this afternoon. We're going to try and make some sense of this Major League Baseball cheating scandal, which continues to evolve. Joe Rivera from the Sporting News will join us a little bit later. Uh, well, actually, about 15 minutes from uh, right now. So we'll talk uh, some about that. We're going to look at basketball matchups this weekend as both Ole Miss and Mississippi State have games at home. Mississippi State hosting um, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, sorry. It took me just a second. Mississippi State hosting Georgia and Ole Miss hosting LSU tomorrow. I'm in College Station, uh, Texas A&M and South Carolina, which um, – at one point, it was not all that spicy of a uh, of a matchup, but both of these teams are playing a little bit better. Uh, we'll also talk about the other games that are happening this weekend in the SEC. Uh, Joe Burrow has impressed teams enough as he gets set to make his way to the NFL that uh, perhaps somebody besides Cincinnati could draft him with the number one overall pick. There are a couple of teams uh, that apparently are pretty interested in trading up for the uh, number one spot. Would Cincinnati be willing to do that? Would it be a mistake for Cincinnati to do that? And is it uh, a worthwhile endeavor for a, uh, a couple of teams that might have some interest there? Clemson's Travis Etienne is coming back. Pretty good group of running backs that are going to be in the uh, NFL draft this year. Borky, if Travis Etienne had decided to leave... Among the running backs that are going to be available for the draft, where would he be taken? Uh, because as, as I watched that game, you know, Monday night was the first time that I had seen him in person. Obviously watched him play a bunch, and he's always been impressive on television. He runs with an edge. He is a good player, a physical runner. He's got a nice burst. He's thick. Uh, what do you make of the decision for him to return to Clemson? I'm actually really surprised by it. I mean, he is... As you mentioned, he's one hell of a running back, and we've talked often about the position and its longevity and how it doesn't exist. I mean, NFL running backs have the shortest career span of all positions, and a guy like him that would be poised to make big money right away to return to Clemson where I'm sure he could elevate his draft stock somewhat, but he could also do the exact opposite, maybe sustain an injury, knock on wood, hope that doesn't happen, but... Man, a guy like him, I just don't know how much better of a prospect he can become by staying in college for another year. But that's the third high-profile running back that's done it as well. I mean, him, he had uh, Hubbard at Oklahoma State, and then to a lesser degree, uh, Najee Harris, all coming back, and then Kylan Hill here in Mississippi. Hill as well. Yeah. All coming back to school. I I'm blown away that Oklahoma State, uh, Alabama, Clemson and Mississippi State have been able to keep these guys when everything tells you to go. DeAndre Swift from Georgia is coming out early. J.K. Dobbins is coming out early from Ohio State. I was looking at uh, one NFL mock draft that had Travis Etienne rated as the second 
a potential running back coming in. Jonathan Taylor is coming out from Wisconsin. Najee Harris is coming back. He was uh, in one mock draft, picked as the fifth. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is leaving early. Uh, Zach Moss from Utah is going to be in this draft. Chuba Hubbard, you mentioned just a second ago, coming back. Cam Akers is going to be in the NFL. I just – it's an interesting decision to me – you know, would, would Travis Etienne have been a guaranteed first-rounder? My, my guess is probably not. And that would be the reason that he's going back. You know, that. But, but, but the flip side of this is, and it's the point that you made to start this conversation, Borky, the average career length of an NFL running back across the board is 3.3 years. 3.3. So I guess there are two ways to look at that. One, if on average a running back only lasts in the NFL three and a half years, you want to absolutely maximize the money you can get on the front end, and maybe that's the reason Travis Etienne thinks he can elevate his stock into a, into a first-round grade. And, and again, I don't know that he's not a first-round pick if he comes out this year. But the other side of that is if you're only getting three and a half years, you want to be the best that you can be, and you want to try and defy those odds by getting into the league earlier with fewer miles on the tires, so to speak, and uh, perhaps defy that average of three and a half years in the league. Yeah, and Clemson just, they don't even have to reload. It's like they never even shot the gun. Uh, They are going to go right into the college football playoff again next year. I mean, the first round or number one overall quarterback in next year's draft, the Heisman front runner, and then also, by the way, his running back, who, if he didn't play alongside Trevor Lawrence, would be in the same position. It's unbelievable the talent that Dabo Sweeney's been able to acquire and keep there now going into next season. Well, and we talk about the blue chip index sometimes, hey, Dad, and there's nobody that's blue chippier in the in the last five, six years than Clemson. And I say nobody. I mean, they're part of that group of, of five or so at the top every year, the recruiting rankings. Alabama's there right now. Georgia's there right now. LSU is getting there. I don't know that they've got – well, I know that they don't have quite as long a track record as being, you know, top five in recruiting year after year. But Clemson is absolutely there. And in addition to the fact that they got a bunch of dudes coming back, they've also got another top five class that's rolling in. And that's just how it's going to be for for the uh, foreseeable future. They are going to. That's how you stay on top. You just keep stacking talent on top of talent, and then when you get lucky in situations like this, and what Alabama has coming back with Rugs and Smith and Moses and Harris and and Leatherwood, I mean that you know the rich just stay rich. It's not getting rich. It's it's staying yeah. rich at this point. And Clemson has the number one class in 2020 right now, including six five stars and eleven four stars. If you go to last year, Clemson, ooh, you got to go all the way down to number 10 last year. They had a little bit smaller class last season, 2018. If you rewind two years back, there you find Clemson at number 7. Um, 2017, if you want to go back a, another year, you find Clemson at number, oh, goodness, 16. Have they not recruited as well as we thought? They or is don't. It just the hit rate has been off the charts. The hit rate's off the charts, but it, it, you touched on it a little bit. They do not sign full classes. There is very little processing, air quotes, at Clemson. So they evaluate well, and those guys stick around and and they hit. So the class sizes are a little bit smaller. This year's an exception. They have as many five stars as Alabama and Ohio State combined, uh, yeah. but largely they just evaluate well. 
and they do not process kids, so their classes are a little bit smaller than most. Yeah, to your point, the 2017 class that was ranked 16th in Clemson only had 14 commits in it, but it did have two five-stars and eight four-stars. So the guys they're getting are really, really good. We'll talk some baseball with Joe Rivera from Sporting News when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Friday afternoon. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. I think this is the very first time that Joe Rivera from Sporting News has joined us on the show. Bill Bender is a good friend of ours. He may have been with us one time uh, in the past. Uh, regardless, good to have Joe, you on this afternoon. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Doing well. Um... I don't even really know how to begin or how to start to unpack (laughs) what is happening in Major League Baseball. Here we are sitting in the middle of January, and this is normally kind of a no-news time. We got through the hot stove time. We're not ready for spring training quite yet, and yet we've had three Major League managers fired, if that's what you want to call it, in the last week. Where do you start when you're talking about this story? Oh man, uh, like you said, there's, there is way too much to unpack here. You know, I think, I don't want to say it's overblown, right? Because I, I do not think that at all, but I will say that this has been going on for a lot longer than people realize. Um, there's a picture in the eighties that just said today that Tony, Tommy, uh, Tony LaRussa, uh, was actually, was actually stealing signs using technology back then. So, um, I had a source that actually came to me. Uh, within the last few months that actually wanted to bring a lot of this stuff to light. It was nothing that I could independently confirm on my own reporting, but from what I've been told, um, the Dodgers back uh, back to 2005 have been doing this, and uh, there's a lot of teams that are in on this that, you know, Major League Baseball didn't do a good job of policing it. So uh, I think that this is part of Major League Baseball's doing, to be honest with you. I don't think that they did enough to kind of curtail the use of technology. I think that they wanted to be open with clubs and wanting to use it to their advantage, but not to push the envelope the way a lot of teams did. So I think, again, this is something that's been happening for a long time. I'm not sure how you really police it moving forward, but I do think that it's been going on a lot longer than people realize. All right, tell me more about Tony LaRusso using technology in the 80s to steal signs. Kind of I mean, we're talking about what, floppy disks? Yeah, it was kind of it was back in the back in the late 80s. It was kind of, you know, the same thing that's been happening. He was using a monitor to steal signs. So, um it, it was a in real time that back then. I don't I don't know if he was actually using, you know, butter, buzzers and and band-aids with with electronics in them to to convey that, but um I mean, this is again, this is something that's been happening for for as long as uh, technology in the game has been around, so I don't really know how you take it out. Uh, certainly, you can have MLB officials investigate like they've done before. You can have one on site to make sure that everything's kosher before a game, but um, it's not something that's that I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I mean, going way back beyond the 80s, stealing signs has been part of baseball forever, but we were talking about it earlier. It was the, the nerd at the end of the bench who was sitting there who just had this uncanny ability to, to look at the third base coach or look at the other dugout and figure out what the tell was and, and then kind of go from there, which seems like, okay, that's a harmless part of baseball if you're not good enough to conceal your signs. This feels like it's different to me. You, you said you don't know how we go back. Is there any putting the two, uh, the toothpaste back in the tube? I'm sorry, I missed the last part of your question there, Richard. 
No, I'm just, I mean, is there any way to put the toothpaste back in the tube in, in the way <laughs> you know, that we it, go about I, I, this now? You know, I really don't think you can. I mean, um, it's it's really, it's a fine line, right? Because we know how much video plays uh, into games now. I mean, the teams have iPads to try and dissect uh, a pitcher's delivery, his wind-up, if he's got any tells. You know, that's that's totally fine. That stuff's kosher. I just don't, there needs to be more clear um, more clear guidelines, more clear rules as to what a team can do on game day, right? The Yankees were accused, uh, from what I've been told, the Yankees were accused of stealing signs uh, back in 2017. But um, from from that same report, what, what my source told me was it, it kind of seemed like they were playing within the rules, but maybe pushing the envelope a bit where they were using technology, they were using video feeds, live video feeds to see, uh, to try and dissect a pitcher's windup to see if he had any kind of tell in his delivery, if, if he was tipping his pitches, which I don't actually think that's too terrible, you know, if you're using a camera for that. But if you're using it to give a pitch-by-pitch kind of, um, you know, getting ahead of the pitcher, trying to figure out what he's about to throw on the next pitch, I think that's when it kind of goes, uh, that's, that's when it kind of goes a little overboard. So I don't really think that you can take the technology away from these teams. I just think baseball needs to do a better job of policing how these teams use technology on game day. Joe Rivera from Sporting News on your radio, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. I feel like yesterday was kind of the first time that very publicly we've been talking about uh, you know, buzzers or some sort of a device that was attached to the body of a player to signal off-speed pitches. Uh, Jose Altuve was the example that came out yesterday. Is that something that has been talked about privately for a while and it's just now becoming public, or was that a new revelation? You know, the buzzers thing is something that's been rumored in the past. It, it kind of seems like a James Bond thing, right, where you're using like these, these uh, <laughs> Q-branch uh, these Q branch gadgets, you know, that, that seems, it's a little weird, right? I, I, I it's, it's almost seems too far fetched, right? But, um, if I, I had a former major league, pay, uh, major league baseball pitcher message me privately yesterday and, and tell me that, um, when, when Altuve hit the, the walk off home run to send the Astros to the World Series, he said he watched, uh, you watched tape for an hour and a half trying to figure out if Araldis Chapman actually tipped his pitch. Uh, before Altuve launched it out of the ballpark, that, that hanging slider, he said that he was 100% convinced that Altuve had to know what was coming. And he was watching tape and trying to figure out tape and, and trying to figure out if, if Chapman had a tell, and he just couldn't figure it out, which is why um, the buzzer theory makes so much more sense now. But listen, I, I, I don't know what you do to try and get people to uh, to give that information up. I mean, Major League Baseball says they found no use of, of electronic devices of the sort uh, when they were doing their investigation. So uh, I'm not really sure if, if uh, I don't, I'm not sure what they do to try and figure out if the, if the Astros were using it or not. But it's one of those things that seems so far-fetched, right? But uh, I, I think that when the technology is there, when it's readily available, I think teams are going to find a way to use it to their advantage in some way. Joe, you know what's interesting to me about all of this is is cheating in sports is it goes back as far as sports itself goes back. You know whether you're talking about you know some sort of uppers that guys in the early 1900s were using, you know to bounce back after big nights of partying or performance enhancing drugs or technology. Now, my question is, and and maybe this is a silly question, do these guys need it? 
they, they, they are the best on the planet at their craft. If everybody was playing in a level playing field, which we know never is actually going to happen, wouldn't they still be the best on the planet at their craft? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question, right? And and part of it, looking at it the other way, if everybody's cheating, is anybody cheating, right? So yeah, uh, you can enough. take that angle with it, too. But, you know, I mean, we, we know how hard it is, you know, from going to the batting cages, we know how hard it can be to hit a 65-mile-an-hour pitch, and these guys are, are that good. But I don't really think it's a question of needing it. I think it's trying to gain that edge, that whatever you can do on game day to win. Um, and there's no question that there's a benefit there because when you look at the Astros numbers and listen, everybody benefits from it differently. The uh, major league baseball's report said that in 2018, that players were actually more distracted um, by using, uh, trying to steal signs than it was actually helping them, which is why they hmm. kind of ditched it in the second half of the season. But um, it's, it's certainly something that they're always going to try and figure out when you look at uh, the Astros in 2017, uh, I'm sorry, in 2016, they were one of the four worst teams in Major League Baseball at striking out. Uh, they had, I think, a strikeout rate of around 23%. Uh, and then you look at 2017 when all this comes out with the sign stealing and stuff, they had the best strikeout rate in baseball at 17%, and they were far and away the best. I mean, when a lot of your players are the same players that you had the year before and it's the same group of guys, I really don't think you can question as to whether or not there's a benefit there, right? When you're, when there's a 6% difference from one year to the next, and I don't really understand how you change that philosophy or how you change your philosophy or, or style as a hitter overnight or over an offseason. So uh, there's no question there's a benefit there. Um, I'm not sure if they actually need it. I guess that we're going to see if, if the punishments were heavy enough that it's going to deter players in the future. But these guys are good regardless, uh, you know, but it's about finding that edge uh, to try and win a game or try to win a series when you need it most. Joe, last thing for you. We've got less than a minute left. How does this dovetail with the numbers in Major League Baseball over the last couple of years of home runs being up but also strikeouts being up? You know, it's a good question. Um, that's actually something that I thought about because everybody's talking about uh, – everybody was kind of talking about the um, the juice baseball the last year, right? But now when you hear all the sign-stealing stuff and then the, the amount of teams, the number of teams that are probably actively stealing signs – uh, you know, we heard the number eight. I think probably there's more than that. But, uh, you know, I don't really know what Major League Baseball can do, but uh, or I don't really know how it how it correlates, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, when you when you have a walk rate that's that's going up over the years, along with your strikeout rate, that's kind of going down when you look at Houston specifically. I mean, they were far and away the best when it came to to strikeout to walk rate. So um, it, I don't really know how what the correlation would be the two uh, between the two, Richard to be honest with you, but uh, I know that Major League Baseball's got to do something about it now to try and figure out how they can stop this moving forward if they're serious about it, because it's not something that's going to go away. Uh, the technology's only going to get better, we know that, uh, and teams sure. are going to keep trying to find ways to try and, and get around those rules if, if they're not really threatened by, by the punishment that was handed down to the Astros. Joe, thanks for your time. Good visiting with you. Absolutely, Richard. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Joe Rivera from Sporting News. Okay, we should have Joe Rivera on more often. He was interesting. Sporting News guys, man. Every single one we've had. I think that's the third or fourth. They're all smart. Yeah. yeah that's an entity that used to be a huge deal. And you had the Sporting News Radio Network. And as, you know, the print world has gone kind of sideways, it has... I don't know. It's not out there as much, but uh, they've got some good guys at uh, at Sporting News. 
Rippy has joined us. Rippy, what's up, man? Not much. Not much. You know the show starts at 3, right? I do. Okay. Just, <laughs> just messing with you. Decided hey, to test you, my leverage. Uh, did you um, did you get any pushback from anyone? You haven't had uh, Ole Miss call and try to revoke your degree based on uh, the uh, on the review that you had of, of a class that you took yesterday, right? I don't know what review you're talking about. It's anonymous. Oh, no, you very much attached your name to it yesterday. We just didn't attach who the teacher was and what the class was. Yeah, well, can't confirm or deny. Yeah, fair enough. It's as if uh, there's not a podcast of uh, of that that's uh, floating around out there. Good to have you along this afternoon. So Joe Rivera said some uh, some interesting things. Most interesting to me, and I'd love to get your guys' reaction to this as well, there's really not anything that Major League Baseball can do to curtail this going forward. I mean, you you sort of hit when you said to get the toothpaste back in the bottle, you know, genie back in the bottle, whatever you want to say. Toothpaste you in know, the I'll, tube, actually. To, I'm sorry, to, well, you know, I use bottled toothpaste. It's uh, it's very old-timey. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You use bottled no, toothpaste? No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. I was just trying to cover up. Yeah. Is there such just a go thing? go with the joke. Just, That's just fine. Is there such the a joke, thing? I don't know if it is or not. I, I, you know what? I would believe like Rodan and Fields probably sells it. Uh, I'm thinking. Uh, I was talking to Joel Coleman on the podcast yesterday, come and he made the in a bottle. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. He made the point that it, it almost feels like a point. Uh, you, you might reach a point with baseball where they just have to say, "We're going to have to just almost take a huge step back. We're not going to be able to allow replay." We're not going to be able to because we can't allow the teams to have this technology. It's just it's just too much of a temptation. Evidently, either that or you got to make penalties so stiff. I mean, what happened to the Astros is bad, but is it enough to curtail everything? Probably not. So what do you do? I don't know, but those are sort of your only two options at this point. You could have a designated guy have re, uh, be like the replay guy in the press box as opposed to it being in the dugout. But it's everything Possible. else too, because most clubhouses have film monitors, like either ready, like right in there. Like I remember, for example, one time, like Archie Bradley, uh, the guy that pooped his pants in the bullpen that time. He plays for the Diamondbacks. He uh, he gave up a game-winning hit. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, no. You anyway. I, that's kind of what he's known for. He uh, he had an accident in the bullpen one time before he pitched a game. Anyway, he gave up a game-winning hit. And, like, by the time we got in there, he was already looking at the video on the table in the clubhouse. Like, he ran in there just to see what the pitch was and what went wrong. And so, like, with as much video as they have available in the clubhouses and stuff, like, how do you monitor that is probably the big thing. You could take it out of the dugout or the hallway or wherever it is for games and do something more separate with replay. I just don't know how you police all the other video technology stuff that's allowed in the clubhouse. What if you – I mean, the league is so wealthy, right? What if you just added – an additional umpire in each dugout. Had somebody there that monitored and oversaw anything. That was just there to keep everybody in check. There's ways to fix this. I just, like, it would seem like first you'd have to get to the bottom of everything that's happened, and it continues to seem to go deeper and deeper. I mean, I I saw the Tony LaRusa thing about, like, ten minutes before we went on air. Like, that doesn't seem great either. So, obviously, this has been going on a long time, which I think everyone knew. I think everyone knew it was not just the Astros, not just the Red Sox. Like, I I, I imagine 
much like the FBI thing in college basketball, like I imagine when it hit once, you know, there were a lot more teams, a lot more clubs, a lot more managers, a lot more players uncomfortable as to what could come. Two things. One, what if we put a TSA agent with a uh, a wand in the on-deck circle where every player had to be wanded before they went to the batter's box so that we could uh, make sure they didn't have some sort of a, uh, a buzzer device on them? Um, How or, real or, do you think that is, the, the buzzers? Because I've seen pictures today of like weird lines in jerseys, but, I mean, it's jerseys, and these guys are moving, so it could just yeah. be a crease. Do you think that's real? I mean, I certainly think that the technology exists that if you wanted to, you know, Joe mentioned a second ago, take a Band-Aid and put some sort of a, you know, small, you know, electronic wireless buzzer underneath a Band-Aid or underneath a piece of tape, you know, whatever, skin tape of some sort, uh, you probably could do that. I mean, but... It wouldn't have to be under a jersey either. I mean, it, you, the only reason you'd put it under a jersey would be if you're a wire. I mean, if you've got, if it's some, there's some sort of a wire attached almost. I mean, if you had sweatbands or, you know, whatever on your wrist or your arms, you can put it on your forearm. You can put it on your wrist. So I don't know. I, maybe I, I wouldn't put anything past them. But, Borky, your suggestion a second ago about putting, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, a hall monitor in, the, in every dugout. I mean, isn't there a part of this where you go – these are grown men. These are adults. But maybe the counter to that would be, look, if you don't want us to treat you like you're in preschool, don't act like you're in preschool. Yeah. It's like the... It, <laughs> um, but, I mean, you, you're, what you're doing, you're, you're saying, let's put a narc in every dugout of every game for baseball. So we're going to put somebody in there whose job is solely to rat people out. Yeah, but you don't... Wouldn't their presence cause them to stop, you'd think, right? I mean, but what else can you do? If it's so rampant and so widespread, then you can't just punish a team or two, and it certainly doesn't sound like what happened to the Astros is going to be a deterrent if it's this widespread. So what else can you do? You've got to stop it. So at some point, you've got to have somebody that's a the, the certified narc, I guess. You may have seen this yesterday. Jessica Mendoza, who's a uh, television analyst with ESPN and also um, works with the Mets organization, was on with Golick and Wingo. And Mike Golick said, Jess, you have a problem with Mike Fears leaving the Astros, going to another team, and then going public with all of this. This was her response. She said, going public, yeah. I mean, I get it. If you're with the Oakland A's and you're on another team, I mean, heck yeah, you better be telling your teammates, look, hey, heads up, if you hear some noises when you're pitching, this is what's going on for sure. But to go public, yeah, it didn't sit well with me. And honestly, it made me sad for the sport, and that's how all this got found out. This wasn't something that MLB naturally investigated or even other teams complained about because they naturally heard about it, and then the investigations happened. But it came from within. It was a player that was part of it that benefited from it during the regular season when he was part of that team. <sighs> There's no way that Mike Fears could have ratted out his teammates while he was on the team. I mean, I guess physically there is a way. But let's be honest for a second. That, that, that's not even a possibility. So why are you mad at Mike Fears 
for exposing this, bringing it to the forefront, and doing something about it? Or, here's another question. Does it even matter? Is it really even an issue, or is this just kind of the hot-button topic of the day? Because you, you know that baseball is full of unwritten rules, right? Everybody knows that lots and lots and lots of pitchers use foreign substances, maybe on the brim of their hat, maybe you know inside their glove, whatever, to get a better grip on the ball, especially in cold weather. And generally speaking, as long as it's not obvious, everybody is okay with it, and hitters are even okay with it because they think it makes them feel safer if a pitcher has the ability to grip the ball a little bit better. So what's the line? Where is cheating okay versus where is it, oh, no, no, we can't do that. We cannot harm the integrity of the game. wonder if it's a you-know-it-when-you-see-it kind of situation because I don't know exactly where you would draw a line, but uh, maybe not the best analogy, but that's why certain crimes carry out certain prison sentences. You know, you kill somebody, you spend your life in prison, but if you... Uh, drink and drive, you spend a few months in prison. It's stuff like that. So the the pine tar thing, if you get caught, the, the punishment's smaller. But using the technology like this feels worse. And because it feels worse to most of us, the punishment should be worse. But I don't know exactly where you draw a line and define it. It's just like you know it when you see it. Yeah. Maybe there's a better way to signal pitches to a pitcher. You know, you, you mentioned Morky earlier. Could we just put an earpiece in a pitcher and let you know the the word come from the dugout or the word come from the the catcher? I mean, obviously it can't work from the catcher because you got a batter standing right there. But do we have to come up with a new way of signaling pitches? I don't know. That's harder I, to the pros though, again, because catchers call games. Right. A lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why I said a second ago you can't put a microphone in the catcher's mask and have him talk because the batter would hear the pitch. And they um, use the force. Yeah, yeah. Te- telepathic pitch calling is uh, maybe what we need. I do know one thing. I'm tired of hearing about the sanctity of the game because there is no sanctity in baseball anymore. Maybe in any sport. Hey, you know what's cool? sometimes about this show and the longevity of this show is that we've got people that have been listening for a long time and have, have connected with us on the ceasefire text line or have connected with us on Twitter or have reached out via email. And it's almost like, and, and I'm not trying to sound sappy when I say this, but it's almost like we've kind of got this big radio family that is spread all over the state of Mississippi. And I, I have had people uh, that listen, some of you that have listened, who have reached out to me in the past and you know have, have mentioned, hey, I feel like I, I'm growing up or, or, or your kids are growing up and I'm getting to know them, or you know, things like that along the way. So I say all that to say, you know, if somebody's going through a tough time, we can share that together, but we can also celebrate stuff together as well. And let's celebrate Will in Eupora. I want to read this message in its entirety from Will on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. He says, happy Friday. Just wanted to send you guys an appreciation message. Today is the last day I'll be listening to the show through traditional radio transmission for a while. Read on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Sunday morning, I'll be headed to Charlotte, North Carolina for an internship with ESPN. Uh, I, like most of your listeners, am a massive fan of Mississippi sports. The radio show and podcast, you guys, have been a large part of how I've consumed information about the state of Mississippi. I've been listening to the show since I was a freshman at Mississippi State in 2015 and just wanted to say thank you for the last five years of entertainment. I'll continue to listen, whether it's online or through the podcast, but just wanted to thank you guys. Well, Will, we thank you uh, in return. We appreciate you being a loyal listener and a contributor to the show, and congratulations, man. A couple of things. One, that internship program is incredible. It's hard to get into, but if you're able to get into it and you do a good job while you're there, there's a really legitimate chance that there's a job offer on the back end. You know, whether it's immediate or it's a delayed job offer or whatever. I, I know of several people, uh, younger people, who have gone through that internship program, whether it was in Charlotte or in Bristol, and have ended up with job offers. And usually those job offers are like for production assistant jobs, like right, you know, super entry level jobs. But the deal is this, it's all about getting in the door and then making relationships and working hard and not complaining and, you know, kind of getting a chance. Once you're in kind of that community, if you're good at what you do, there's an opportunity to move up really, really quickly. And I I told you via text message uh, just a few minutes ago that, um, uh, frankly, with with the launch of the ACC network and all of the growth that's continuing to happen at ESPN, especially on the production side, they're understaffed and they're looking for people. So go in, work hard, keep your head down, don't complain, and uh, you, you may be calling the uh, the worldwide leader your employer before long. Mickey Mouse might end up signing your paycheck before too terribly much longer. So uh, that's really cool. Congratulations, Will. It's good stuff, Borky. That's really good stuff. I'm jealous because I applied for that and didn't get it. So, Oh, did you really? Yeah. But the thing is, my, uh, my resume in the year 2014 when I was a college freshman was not uh, substantial. Like, it didn't have anything on it, really. So, mm-hmm. I kind of understand why I got rejected. Will's first order of business up there is going to be keep them straight between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Let's not have these mistakes happening anymore. Well, the Ole Miss Bulldogs, uh, you know, innocent. I'm just saying. Can it be worse than the College World Series shirt, though? The the shirts were bad, yeah. But can it get worse than that? I'm just saying. You know, I'm, I, maybe he might. You know, Charlotte. How far is it from Nashville? He might have to give them that same uh, information in two cities. But I'm just saying, let's work on that. Borky, are we okay? Do I sound like I'm in a like a wind tunnel or something, or is it okay? Oh, it's fine. Okay, it just sounds that way coming back to me. I'm in College Station. Got basketball here tomorrow. Hey, Dad's in Starkville. Rippy's in Oxford. Borky's in Jackson. So we're spread out all over the place. But glad to be with you on this Friday afternoon. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Borky, you were saying a second ago, and I know we don't have a ton of time to uh, get into this right this second, but there are a bunch of people that have popped up and were like, hey, Pete Rose, put him in the (laughs) Hall of Fame. We've talked about baseball a lot this week because of the cheating scandal, and uh, this state must be filled with people that just love Pete Rose because every time this gets brought up, we get texts, and I agree with them. It's it's just funny to me that, well, these guys cheat the game and they still get to play. What about Pete Rose? And there's dozens of them every time we bring this up. Pete Rose's behavior off the field, I think, has a large part in to do with it, not just the, the gambling thing.
get-go, there would have been forgiveness or would have he, he have been banned and never to be heard from again regardless? I mean, the man had an inappropriate relationship with, like, an underage minor. Like, like it, it's stuff like that, not just the, the cheating scandal. Yeah, that's probably not a good way to go through life. Can we get past the uh, the the steroid area guys though, and acknowledge that Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and that some of those other guys deserve to be in? I would agree Will with this that. Lead to that. Yeah. We'll see. One hour quickly in the books with you on this Friday. More coming up. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Experience health care on call with the Ceasefire Health app. Skip the waiting room and get treated by a UMMC clinician. Right from your phone from anywhere in Mississippi. Plus, for a limited time, visits are just $29 for Seaspire customers. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Let's bring it back a little more local and talk some basketball as we get set for the weekend coming up. We'll start with, uh, let's start with, oh, I guess Ole Miss LSU tips off first, so we'll uh, we'll just do it that way. Ole Miss LSU ESPN2 tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at the Pavilion. Rippy, um, is it still relevant to call a game a must-win game? Is there an opportunity to turn things around, to get things moving in the right direction for this Ole Miss basketball team? I mean, if there is, it would have to start Saturday because if you don't, I mean, tomorrow, if you don't win tomorrow, it's, it's setting up for a pretty decent skid. So yeah, I think that would be an accurate characterization. You got a good but beatable LSU team. Uh, presumably you'll be back at full strength, uh, for the most part. And, you know, it's, it's a game they really need to win. Yeah. Any update at all on the severity, uh, severity of Brian Tyree's back contusion, back bruise that he was dealing with that kept him out of the, the Florida game? Not at this time. Okay. So we'll have to, uh, have to wait and see. What, what do you guys make? I don't know how much SEC basketball you've watched beyond specifically Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State. I've seen LSU a couple of times and still have a little trouble kind of wrapping my mind around exactly what they are. Because they lost so much. They lost three NBA players, none more important than Tremont Waters from a year ago because he made them go. To me, the biggest issue that LSU has this year is they don't have a legitimate point guard. Javante Smart has not transitioned well into that role. They're playing Skylar Mays there a little bit to take some of the load uh, off of Javante Smart. But but they lost uh, Nas Reed, uh, who was a beast inside. They lost Bigby Williams and lost Tremont Waters. And so it's a drastically different-looking team and yet, here they are still sitting in really good position after having just kind of a ho-hum non-conference slate. Will Wade, being this good of a coach with the FBI breathing down his neck, imagine if it, if it wasn't the case. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like we're getting to the point, or, or maybe I should just say I'm getting to the point, where 
Will Wade deserves a little bit more credit. And I'm not talking about in terms of, you know, cheating, not cheating, dealing with the FBI, making strong offers to recruits, any of those things. I'm just talking about in terms of X's and O's and getting his guys in position to win. They're 12-4 and four overall, and they're the only undefeated team so far in SEC play at 4-0. and He probably deserves some more credit. He does, but he's not going to get it because of the situation he's put himself in. Yeah. I'm still I'm I'm blown away that he's coaching there right now. And maybe I shouldn't be because of the circumstances that uh, LSU has found themselves in with their athletic director's relationship with the head of the NCAA, but still I mean, how many places in America could you have that happen and still be the coach? And this, and I mean, I haven't watched as much LSU as, as you have, but it's almost like it's not even brought up anymore. He has completely survived this, and good, good on him. I mean, good for him. That's admirable. I don't what know how many John coaches Rothstein survived calls that. Him, calls him American gangster. <laughs> That's perfect. I am mind blown that he has survived all of this and is continuing to coach to this day. Well, and here's the thing. He hasn't survived all of it. You remember he was suspended for the last couple of games of the regular season. You had that surreal atmosphere in Baton Rouge last year when they clinched the SEC in the regular season. I mean, it was it was almost a scary environment at, at the PMAC for that ball game. And then he has to sit out the SEC tournament, has to sit out the NCAA tournament. And to me, that was the difference in LSU making a run. Because they were talented enough. They they were Final Four talented last year. But things just kind of went sideways, uh, you know, once they got into the NCAA tournament. And given what we were just talking about with the coach that Will Wade is, I think his not being on the sideline uh, is probably the difference in, in LSU certainly getting to the second weekend and maybe getting all the way to the Final Four versus flaming out in the uh, the second round like they did a season ago. Just a uh, quick update. Brian Limited in practice today are going to try to give it a go, uh, but okay. and Hadeep C will be available tomorrow. Okay. So uh, a couple of updates for you there. You know what's funny? When, when you look around, we've talked a lot about the coaches, the basketball coaches in the SEC, and you got a really, really good group of coaches. Six SEC coaches have coached in the Final Four. I think it's either 12 or 13 of the 14 have taken teams – to the NCAA tournament, and and here's the part that doesn't matter, but is fascinating. Among other coaches, you got several guys that are not liked. And uh, uh, again, that means nothing, right? I mean, they like me, they don't like me. My job is to help my team win. Will Wade is not liked by other coaches. His reputation among other coaches is poor. Bruce Pearl, I think, is begrudgingly respected because of his ability to coach. But other coaches think he's a shyster. He doesn't care about that. He's just winning ball games at Auburn. Uh, I think people have varying opinions about John Calipari most of which are tied up in the fact that they think he's fairly self-absorbed. 
think most people like Mike White. Uh, outside of uh, Dean Smith, I think most people uh, like Rick Barnes at Tennessee. Yeah, Nate Oates is new. Buzz Williams is a guy that I, I think their coaches look at some of his antics and how he deals with players, and they're not real impressed. So here's my question. So, so I just gave you three names of coaches that are, generally speaking, by other coaches in the business not liked. How much of that's jealousy? Even among good basketball coaches. Because I just named three guys that have won – Everywhere they've been. There's something to that? That's a good question. Although, I I did see what was bothering people so much about Buzz when Ole Miss played Texas A&M, and I think part of that is because their team wasn't playing well, so everything else is heightened. But that would drive me crazy, having to watch that, you know, a few dozen games a year. It, It works. Obviously, it works. But, I mean... You don't have to jump up and down and carry on like that. Like, you're in a three-piece suit, man. You know, tone it down a little bit. He's in a two-piece suit by about the (laughs) first media timeout. (laughs) Hey, Dad, that's a strong look. I think that's the the route that you should go when you next buy a suit. Go to a three-piece suit, but pretty quickly, because you're a bit of a sweater. Uh, Ditch the jacket (laughs) and just go with the vest. With the uh, you know the the long sleeve button down shirt and tie underneath the vest. How can I show off my pocket square if I do that though? No, I mean, show off your pocket square when you make your initial appearance. I guess, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's. Go a, ahead and throw a, a top hat on too, hey dad. And, and a cane to twirl while I stroll. Your your fascination with pocket squares is amusing to me. There's our next bet. Forget the stakes. Haydad has to roll into a Mississippi State football press conference with Mike Leach wearing a three-piece suit, a top hat, and a cane. Well, who's going to buy all that? <laughs> yeah, that's, You can that's, rent that's it. That's, There's that's costume <laughs> stores. You can find that stuff. There's ways where we can make it monocle? happen. Need a monocle? If you can find a monocle, throw one of those I mean, on. It, it feels well. like that episode of The Office where Jim shows up in a tux. You know, Coach, I just don't think that's classy enough. <laughs> so, so what are we trying to make? Hey, Dad, into Charlie Chapman or the Monopoly Man? Or the focus of a Mike Leach twenty-minute rant that we can play on this show for the Why rest? Why are of you time? dressed like that? You know, I knew a guy who dressed like that one time, and then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> he did make reference to uh, being glad that people don't wear linen suits all the time in Starkville. He's taking a shot at you right there. No, no, he wasn't. I don't own a linen <laughs> suit. I think I have one pair of linen pants, but I don't really wear them all the mu- that much because they just wrinkle so darn much. I know that's exactly what you wanted me to say there, hey, Dad. Jeez. I, I don't know anything about linen pants. So. Sports Talk Mississippi, it's just a fine strand of cotton. It's not a big deal. More coming up. Sit tight. <laughs> Sports Talk, Mississippi, Friday afternoon. Okay, put the dunce hat on me. 
We got a, a text message on the C Spire text message uh, text line, and he said, "Did he say Charlie Chapman?" And I read that, <laughs> and I know? looked at it for a second, and I said, "Yup, I sure did." And I will now hang my head in shame. Clearly, I was talking about Charlie Chaplin, not his cousin Charlie Chapman. You knew what I meant, but yes, I uh, that needed to be pointed out. And also, while we're doing fact check, I fact checked myself because I immediately started doubting myself when I said linen is just a fine strand of cotton. It is not. Linen is not cotton. It's a strand of flax. Anyway, it still wrinkles a lot. What do you know, Richard? Tell, tell me something you do know. Well, I knew enough to immediately check myself because it didn't sound right. There's so, uh, uh, hey hey dad what were you I'm sorry Borky what were you saying nothing oh he I thought you were going to correct me on something as well oh no see I have, what you're talking about right now just right over the head hmm. um Google Charlie Chaplin if you need you'll you'll see the outfit that we're talking about. Uh, Richard and Wiggins, apropos of nothing, sent us a picture, said, hey, here was the greeting crew when I got home. Uh, it's a pig. <laughs> See, I want a bigger top hat than this. I want Haydad to have a real top hat. The suit's fine. We can go with that suit. But a real top hat, hat and a cane. Borky, did you hear what I said? He was greeted by a pig. Well, yeah. We, we have, have dueling pigs. conversations happening at the exact same time. Richard and Wiggins pulled into his driveway, opened the door, and there was a pig. Oh, well, th- this dude. Welcome I, home. Oink. Uh, I guess you don't read his text no, all that I, often. No, I do. He, he I, I do. Has his own little, uh, own little zoo so, there in Wiggins. Menagerie, if you will. Hey, check Rippy, out the college a- Collins Zoo. Yeah, I was about to say, Rippy, you're you're due for a trip to the Collins Zoo, aren't you? They shut it down. That nah, place will never die. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, Caleb in the Olive Branch, by the way, was 100% behind the idea of the next bet with Hey Dad not being a steak bet, but rather a <laughs> bet in which he has to go dressed in a three-piece suit with a top hat and a cane to a Mike Leach press conference. I mean, what do you? I'm not think? renting. If we're gonna do this, somebody's buying me a suit. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not renting. Would you want, do want, that, you know, Hey Dad? If if somebody bought me a nice suit, yeah, I'd do it. Sure, why not? It'd be hilarious. But if you lost the bet, it means you have to pay money to do it. So just so, go the rental route. So what happens if I win the bet? What am I getting out of that? Okay, Free that's suit. fine. Hold on, no, 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 no. Richard, do you go to the press conferences for uh, for for on Mondays? Yeah, about half of them. You have to go dressed as Hillbilly Jim. I want a straw hat and and overalls with no shirt on. <laughs> Why is this me? Why is it not Rippy? Because <laughs> you're the one who called me a sweater. So now you got to pay the price. <laughs> you are point. a sweater, aren't you? <laughs> I don't sweat any more than any normal human being does. Turn that the air on not, and nobody's sweating. That is not true. I'm not a Schwetzer. No. So, yeah, you're showing up as Hillbilly Jim. No, no hay in the mouth. It'll be okay. Yeah. 
I did feel bad one day. I had been, I think it was when we were building our house, and I had been working that morning, and so I just had jeans and boots and whatever else on, and I had mud all over the boots, and I didn't really clean them off. <laughs> I went to the press conference. I looked down once I had sat down, and I had basically left like a dirt and mud trail right through the middle of the team meeting room. <sighs> that doesn't count, though. You, you want overalls with no undershirt. Yeah, I'm not doing That's that. That's right. Oh, it's not happening. It's over then. Never mind. Lame. Fair enough. Uh, somebody said, what the heck is flax? Linen is a textile made from the fibers of the flax plant. Linen is laborious to manufacture, but the fiber is very strong, absorbent, and dries faster than cotton. My man said laborious. <laughs> That's it goes on... Wikipedia goes on to say that garments made of linen are valued for their exceptional coolness and freshness in hot and humid weather. There you go. Hey, Dad, combat the sweating. Maybe Mike Leach would actually <laughs> like linen if he tried it. I'm, I'm getting a linen suit if then if we do this. Sure. Wait, so it's supposed to be, like, cool and light? Yes. Why no linen underwear, then? Good question. Uh, are you sure they don't exist? If only we had a device. Th I think uh, all, we are literally all googling linen underwear right now. It's available. I, I am not actually. Oh, <laughs> probably not something you're going to want to strap on there, hey Dad. No, At least God Almighty, no. <laughs> that's not. That's Careful not with the word choice. <laughs> Phrasing. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Phrasing. What do you say? Do you say strap he said that on? may not oh, be something God. you're going to want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Between this and Joel Coleman's ice cream marketing idea yesterday, it's just been a rough week. What was that? I got in, on the on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. One of our sponsors is the local coffee shop, Strange Brew Coffee House, and they have a program where you can brew it forward. You can buy somebody a coffee and leave it, you know, a little note for them. And you can do it anonymously too if you want. And I and I was talking about their their ice cream shop, Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. I said, you know, I really like ice cream, and he's like, well, maybe people could leave ice cream for you, and they could call it Cream It Forward. I was just like, no, no, that's that's not what we're calling that uh, at all. Yeah. So the uh, the Starful Creamery. There we go. Yeah. Um, that ice cream is good. Oh, it's fantastic. The the, the Mississippi State ice cream is very good. Well, Egg bowl was a little cold this year. I, I was walking out. We were headed to the uh, headed to the car, and the uh, cooler was still unlocked. So I grabbed a. Uh, I think I just got vanilla on the way out. Man, it's about hitting the spot. Yeah. Did not hit the spot as well as the leftover Thanksgiving plate that Jane fixed for me that was waiting in my truck in Oxford. And uh, I ate cold Thanksgiving leftovers at about 1 a.m. when I got back from Starkville this year. We have we are, we are officially talking about nothing. And I hope you're here for it. Nah, this is fun. Um, So we talked some Ole Miss LSU kind of a minute ago. What about Georgia Mississippi State? 7.30 tomorrow night, SEC Network in Starkville. Trying to parlay one into two. Hey, Dad, what's got to happen for Mississippi State tomorrow night? You know, all the focus, obviously, is going to be on Anthony Edwards, who's, you know, potentially one of the top five picks in the upcoming NBA draft. Uh, you know, he had 26 on a, Tuesday night. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a heck of a good player. Uh, but whenever there's a game like this, I always think that it's it's more important to worry about the other guys. And sometimes you, you put too much focus on the on the alpha dog, and it's somebody else that will beat you. 
So if I'm Mississippi State, you know, obviously you're going to do what you can with Edwards. You, you don't want him to get 40 points or anything like that, but you got to keep an eye out for, for the guys around him. They have quality players around them. Georgia's such an interesting team. It feels like they should be a little bit better than they are, uh, but they, you know, they started, when you start off conference play, you know, at Kentucky and then Auburn, I mean, that, that's a tough, you know, that's a tough opening duo. Uh, they came back and they looked really good against Tennessee. So, and they, you know, had that win at Memphis earlier this year too. They're a good team. Uh, I think State, can, if they play, you know, their best game, they can win the game. They give the same kind of effort defensively they play. They had on Tuesday night. They'll have a great chance. But you know, like you said uh, yesterday, if if they show up and they're they're disinterested, Georgia might run them off the court. Yeah, and and when you're talking about specific players, okay, if if Anthony Edwards is the alpha dog or the alphaist dog of the alpha dogs in that game, uh, and and he is special. I mean, freshman even. Five-star McDonald's All-American elite freshman, and and hey, Dad, you'll see this when you see him in person tomorrow night. They don't look like Anthony Edwards, even yeah. like the most refined freshman. Who you go, man? That guy could be in the NBA right now. They don't look like him. Yeah. He, he looks like a guy that has been in the NBA physically for three years. Now his game's not quite there yet, and and he's got to continue to defend and you know move better away from the ball. Those are the things that they're working on with him. But in terms of physical appearance, I mean, he, he's a, a third-year NBA guy already. That, that's what he yeah. looks like. Rayshon Hammonds, though, is a guy to, to keep an eye on. Uh, he is, I think, the second-leading scorer. I haven't looked at their stats in a, in a couple of weeks, but the second-leading scorer for Georgia. And kind of a, a mismatch problem from a size standpoint. But to me, the most fun player to watch for Georgia is their freshman point guard, Xavier Wheeler. He was another ESPN Top 100 guy, five-star, eh, maybe a four-star guy. But he can, he's, he's slithery. He can get in anywhere and kind of contort his body and throw it high up off the glass and get it to fall. He is a, uh, he's a fun player to watch and somebody that Mississippi State will have their hands full with tomorrow. Take a quick timeout. Be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. It's just a rock and roll, yeah. Afternoon edition of Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy. What are you boys doing this weekend? I know there's a little basketball on the uh, on the menu for Haydad, you, and for Rippy. What, what, what are the other plans for the weekend? I hadn't really thought about it. Don't have anything planned for Sunday. I mean, like. Not going to go out to eat. Not going to throw anything on the grill. Not going to go anywhere. Just just sit around and stare at the walls. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll do something. I just haven't made any plans for it. But you rip. Not a whole lot. Probably go to the basketball game Saturday. Well, I mean, that's at seven o'clock on Saturday night. Is that going to be your entire day? You're just going to sit around in your linen underwear? Otherwise, <laughs> sounds quite nice. Borky, tell me something entertaining that you're going to do this weekend. I don't know if I'd call it entertaining. Tonight's just kind of an off night. Uh, tomorrow, going to go uh, eat some oysters at a local establishment, have a beer or two, and watch uh, some basketball, and then go see um, 1917, that World War One movie. Uh, oh, yeah. I have had people tell me that that is as good, if not better, than Saving Private Ryan. Whew. And Saving Private Ryan is the best war movie ever made. So, and the reviews are spectacular. Apparently, the cinematography and, and everything, they do, 
a series of long, just individual shots. Like 45 minutes of the movie will be one continuous shot, no breaks. So uh, the acting and the, the staging and all that stuff that is required to make something like that happen, apparently it's incredible on top of the story being really, really good. Uh, so we're going to go see that. Nice little Saturday, and then Sunday is going to sit on my butt and watch football all day. You're not taking Little Man to the War movie, are you? Not taking Little Man to the War movie. We are. Uh, we've decided to take Little Man to uh, the basketball game next weekend, and I don't know how that's going to work out. Does he have to have a ticket? No. So under two, uh, you can get in without one. And I mean, he'll be okay. I think it's. And we got him those little kid, little baby noise canceling headphones, which will help. And lights, of course, because he's a baby. He loves looking at lights, so maybe like the flashing scoreboard and stuff will help him. Uh, but he has never been in that kind of situation before. And it'll be a packed 17,000-seat arena that's loud and whatnot, and he's three months old, and I don't think it's going to go particularly well. But fingers crossed. You got some of those headphones for him? Oh, yeah. They're they're nice blue ones, too. Yeah. Um, and. My second question is, is your wife cool with leaving with the baby and letting you stay and watch the end of the game? Yes. Then you're in good shape. You'll be fine. The the pause, the hesitation said he to thought me, about it. Borky absolutely 100% has not broached that subject yet. No, but and luckily NBA games are short. He does well. I mean, he does really well. Knock on wood. Two hours with a three-month-old, dude. Not that short. Yeah, so that that's a lifetime. But he is, and I guess maybe I'm just I'm so new to this. We've never had issues taking him anywhere before. So, so good for you for taking him lots of places. We, we uh, try. Um, we're we're not exactly the the big going out people all that much, but I, I'm worried about it. But it is just, it's two, two and a half hours. I mean, he does well for the most part. He's very easily uh, comforted as long as he's not hungry. I mean, he's really easy to calm down. So I, I, I'm hoping for the best, but I don't know, man. I'm worried about it. Yeah, what's the worst that's going to happen? He cries. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. He doesn't bother me when he cries because he's mine. But if somebody's sitting right next to me and you've got this yeah. three-month-old, and boy, can he yell when he's upset. I tell you what, I have evolved on that front. With, with when Ava Montgomery was a baby, I mean, if she made a peep, I I, I got like breaking out with hives, nervous. And Jane tells the story that she'll be like, it was. I mean, it was like I got Rain Man like. Was like we we have got to go. Make her stop crying. We we are not going to be those people. Three kids, man. It's like, whatever, man. Sorry. Yeah, that is exactly. <laughs> Deal correct. with it. Yeah, you exactly don't like it. You're welcome correct. to go somewhere else. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this isn't your. This isn't your situation, sir. If you want to be involved, you know, go go get the kid something to quiet him down. You can yeah. pay for it if it's bothering you that much. Not bothering me. We will uh, we will pick our NFL games later for the Pearl River Resort picks of the day. But how about this juicy story out of Miami, Adam Schefter? yesterday reported that the Dolphins and to maybe a slightly lesser extent the Chargers and the Panthers are going to make a hard pursuit at trading for number one because they want Joe Burrow. It's not really surprising. Everybody's just kind of assumed that Burrow's going number one to Cincinnati 
that the Dolphins are going to take Tua, and we'll go from there and decide who else or who everybody else gets what. But now that this looks like it might be in play, should the Bengals consider trading down, and what should they get in order to be willing to trade down? I don't think they should. One, well, I mean, because they need a quarterback. But as as I said a few weeks ago, and, and Rippy agreed with me, which he does a lot lately, by the way, on the podcast. I, I feel like uh, um, I, I'm catching up in his intellect level. I didn't know I had an intellect level. <laughs> um, he's Some got days the, I wonder too. He's got the Zion effect there in Ohio. You can't not pick that guy. Because people will revolt if you don't. But the benefit that you get from being a team in Southern Ohio and drafting a native son of Ohio uh, extends far beyond what he can actually do to you on the football field. So I I imagine they're going to hear some offers. And the one that I saw floated out that that I gave to you guys, which would be trading up to number or to back to five, also getting another first round pick a second-round pick, and a first- and a third-round pick in next year's draft? You think about it for a second, but I still think the answer is no. So I think three the firsts, will be, a second, and a third next year. The Bengals will be fools not to take that deal. I understand that Bur- what Burrow is in Ohio, but that is a franchise-making deal. That's three first-round picks. And Miami and has the to, capital to do that. I get that. And Miami would be foolish to do that as well because – at five, you can probably just get Tua. Why trade? Yeah, why you, trade? Why give away all that and just just take Tua, the guy everybody thought was the best quarterback this year before the season started, and didn't? The only reason he's even a risk at all is the injury issues. But it, there's no way you've done all this work to get these draft picks. There's no way I would give them away like that. For me, the concern but at the same time, though, is if, what you said. It's not injury issue it's injury issues yeah it's more than one it's, yeah. it's been a the thing, thing but in if, a short period if, of time at the same time I, I disagree with Borky if the Dolphins offered that to the Bengals they should jump on it like a starving man on a Christmas turkey that is a heck of a deal that's three <laughs> first round picks you can't turn that down and a second you get that's that, and that a is, third for a good measure well I mean yeah you're getting basically five top 100 players in two draft classes. Well, you say you're getting three first-round picks over the course of two drafts, but you're really only getting two because you already had one. I guess you're right, yeah. So so you're but giving still, up the you, one. And you can get Tua. You'll get Tua at five, so you still get the franchise quarterback. Hmm. Bengals have a cheap owner. It'll be interesting to see if he can be swayed. That is true as well. And he does not care about the interests of the fans. He's made that abundantly clear over the last two decades. So <laughs> I think point. it's possible, but I don't think they should do it. What would be the best spot for Burrow? Would it be Miami, or would it be the Chargers, or would it be the Panthers? Los Angeles by a million times. I would say Carolina would be the best spot. Yeah, just the, re- the reuniting with Brady feels right. Even just aside from that, just everything else, organization, infrastructure, like, yeah, I don't think Burrow would move the needle that much on a team that has no fan base and is a terribly run organization in L.A. It'd be cool to live out there, but like I would say, if best case scenario it would be Carolina for him at this point. 
young head coach. They're kind of in like resetting. Like, he doesn't yeah, like skyline. If they were to get and 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 I feel like, look, Joe Burrow's season this year was magical, absolutely magical, and he may turn out to be a great quarterback in the NFL. But are you convinced that he's going to be a top five or a top ten quarterback in the NFL? And is he going to be that for a decade? There's still some to believe, too, as a better professional prospect. And almost unanimously, although some were kind of being swayed by, you know, being prisoners of the moment, everybody still thinks that Trevor Lawrence ultimately is a better pro prospect as well. You just got to wait another year for him. Patriots should tank for him if Brady leaves. Ooh. Spicy. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next after a quick timeout. Lane Kiffin and the staff at Ole Miss have added a commitment today, a grad transfer tight end from Temple, Kenny Yaboa. Uh, Yaboa in 2019. Let's see here. Sorry, I was looking, trying to look up his uh, stats. 19 receptions, year. 233 with five touchdowns in nine games. Okay. That's exactly what I was about to tell you as well. What do you <laughs> make of this, Rippy? People helping people. Uh, I mean, as we mentioned kind of earlier in the week when you were asking about closing on recruiting, you figured this would be a market they might try to hit. You know, they've already got one signed in this class, but this adds depth there because you do. I mean, I'm trying to think, unless I have it mistaking, it's Jonathan Hess and Alex Faneuil are kind of what you have coming back at tight end. Am I missing something there, Richard, to have an oversight? Um, Jason Pellerin will not be here for the 17th consecutive year, correct? That is true. He and uh, Raymond so. Cotton finally graduated. The, uh, wow. <laughs> that man was playing football until last year somewhere, I was convinced. But, uh, yeah, I think it meets a need. I think it's a guy that's ready to play right now. This last pa past year at Temple was his most productive year. It seemed to be a somewhat consistent thread in a fairly tame Temple passing game. But I, I think we talk about meeting needs. I, I think this certainly helps you have a guy that's presumably – is ready to play right now. So Yaboa looked like was going to be a grad transfer going to Baylor, but then Matt Rule left for the Carolina Panthers, and Yaboa changed his mind. But according to him, Coach Rule leaving Baylor did not affect his final decision to not attend Baylor. Okay. Well, either way, he was playing in Houston next September. But they've already got Demarcus Thomas committed. This helps add depth. Uh, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know how necessarily it'll fit in. I do know Lane Kiffin likes to use the tight end a lot, and so I, I think he. I, here's a hot take: he would be more utilized than Dawson Knox was. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you might be would have been more utilized than Dawson Knox was as well if you'd played this year. We had the same, carried away. They had the same amount of touchdowns. <laughs> Congrats to Knox to scoring his first touchdown since high school earlier this year. Circle the wagons. Goodness. Um, so a tight end added to this class as Ole Miss transitions away from its uh, triple option attack last year. 
And, <laughs> and we'll move back into the 21st century with this, all of uh, the rest of college football. This is an interesting position to watch because, as I believe we mentioned this like five, six times on the show, but Harrison Bryant, FAU tight end, I believe is the reigning what, Mackey Award winner. So yep. uh, something Kiffin certainly likes to utilize. Mackey Award, I mean, that's the... That's the one that didn't constitute Evan Ingram as a tight end, right? That's right. Yeah. Didn't Jake Butt get it? He did. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, how's so that, that NFL mean, career going? Is he okay? Does that mean Butt is ingrained on the trophy? Yes. Well, if you're in Montana, it's Butte. I'd have probably gone with Ingram. One of those things they're in the committee like, look, this guy's really good, but do we really want the word butt just on the trophy for Jake, all have times? You thought about, have you guys thought about the, I don't know if evolution is the right word, it's the word we'll go with, of the Ole Miss offense over the last, uh, when was Hugh Freeze hired? 2012 is his first season, so it would have been November-ish 2011. All right, so, so Is it evolution or instability? Well, maybe maybe a little of both. Uh, certainly the instability piece, but but think about it. I mean, Hugh Freeze, f- for all the issues that some of us have with him, pretty good offensive coach. Uh, scores points, scores touchdowns. And he had Dan Werner there, who has, you know, uh, great respect in the coaching community for the way that he calls games, the way that he's worked and developed with quarterbacks. He had really good quarterback play. But then that was not enough for Hugh Freeze. He wanted to to take the offense to the next level. And that's why he went out and he hired um, Phil Longo. Mm -hmm. And then Hugh Hugh Freeze wasn't around to take the offense to the next level, holding hands with Phil Longo. I think if we're being completely honest, he went and hired Phil Longo so that he would have a scapegoat, a coordinator that he could fire when it didn't go well moving down the line. Uh, And then he would be the hero when he took over play calling four games in. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. But nevertheless. Smartest man he knows. And then you get to Rich Rodriguez, who is such a drastically different offensive mind and has a different system than either of those previous two things. And you went from a throw it all the time, there's an underutilized running game, to a run it like crazy, but you can't complete a forward pass. And now it's kind of come all the way back around to a guy that is considered to be a really innovative offensive mind. Be interested to see what innovative offense looks like going forward for Ole Miss. Two hours down, one to go with you on this Friday afternoon. We'll go take a quick timeout, come back with you and the college football fix. Welcome to the weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon, just after 5 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be cold on Sunday, but did you guys see the news that uh, earlier today they shut down the Kansas City airport because of ice building up on the runways? Planes couldn't take off or land. It's fun. Yuck. Titans and Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. I would imagine it will be cold in Kansas City for that ball game. Does that favor one team over the other? Um, really. Maybe Tennessee, right, with the way they play? 
Maybe. You always Maybe, think a but cold, it was cold, nasty game would have always benefits the team that wants to run the football. It was absolutely freezing though last year in the AFC title game, and that was a track meet. It's true. It's a good point. I guess they have so yeah. much technology and stuff now to keep those guys warm and the balls warm and their hands warm. And uh, I mean, it just doesn't matter. Brother, does if it? it's 20 degrees outside, it doesn't matter what the heat setup is or the technology or the hand warmers. It's just cold. Yeah, but they can still run their offense effectively, I guess is the point. Like Mahomes yeah. won't have trouble throwing the football. Well, and I feel safe saying it's not going to be as cold as it was for that Giants-Packers NFC Championship game several years ago where it looked like Tom Coughlin's face was just going to fall off. It was so red. Where the second a beer would get poured, there would be frost on top, and by the time people were getting back to their seats, the entire thing would be frozen? No. I'm serious. There's pictures, man. It's wild. I mean, the frost on top's one thing, but the uh, completely frozen, I mean, a beer sickle? Yeah, basically. what that turns into? I mean, it, what was it? Negative 20 plus, right? I don't know if it was that cold. That may have been the wind chill. Maybe it was. It uh, it certainly looked cold. Hey, Dad, did you wear sleeves like in high school? I mean, if it was cold, would you wear sleeves under your under your jersey? Uh, yeah, yeah. We I actually had like a purple undershirt that 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 I wore. Yeah. I did until I played, and then when I actually got to play my senior year, I did not. I was like, eh, skip on that. I think I read a book somewhere where Archie Manning said that he wore sleeves one time in a pro game, and it was miserable in the worst game that he played, and so he got rid of them. And for some reason, that was my logic for not wearing long sleeves, which probably was pretty dumb logic in uh, in retrospect. Found a picture of a game in Chicago, so not even that game, uh, on a December game in Chicago where a fan's – Almost full beer. He's holding it upside down because it froze solid. Maybe he should have consumed it faster. And there's another one where uh, another picture of a, a young lady who got back to her seat and it was already frozen completely. There you go. So I guess it is possible. Doesn't seem like it would freeze that fast, but uh, apparently so. Let's make some picks. Pearl River Resort college football picks that's what we've done all year long but we've got no college games left left to pick so we'll pick the uh, championship games our picks are brought to you by pearl river resort the golden moon casino and the sports book at timeout lounge i don't know if this is the weekend for you to play golf at dancing rabbit but you know you're going to catch some warm breaks sneak out catch a little bit of golf get great food maybe you want to go get a steak at philip m's I'm sure somebody owes hey dad a, a steak or two or three or something. So maybe the next mm-hmm. time we're in Philly, we need to do that. Uh, hey dad, or maybe not. I'm we'll down. I, I'm sure you are. I, I didn't think that you would uh, turn that idea down. You've got concerts going on when it warms up this spring and into the summer. You've got the water park, tons to do at the Pearl River Resort, and certainly you don't want to miss the sports book at Timeout Lounge. So it's Championship Sunday in the NFL. Total number of points. In the Titans-Kansas City game is 53. The Titans are getting seven in this game. Uh, you remember Kansas City last week uh, trailed 24 to nothing before scoring 51, outscoring um, the Texans 51-7 to the rest of the way. So the Titans getting a touchdown and an extra point in this game. Borky, we'll start with you. Who do you like? I'm going to take the points uh, with the Titans. I know they're really banged up. The injury report, I think, had seven names on it, all of which were questionable. You imagine they're all going to try to give it a go, but 
Aside from that, I'll take seven points from the team that wants to get physical and run the football. I don't think the Titans can beat the Chiefs in a track meet, but I think they're good enough defensively to not make it one. Really close game. They may not win, but if you're giving me seven points with Derrick Henry in that defense, I'm taking seven points in Derrick Henry in that defense. If the Titans are close, do you like the under? Yes, very much so. Okay. Rippy, you uh, are certainly a Titans fan, but this is your uh, this is your wallet, this is your checkbook, not your heart, so how do you feel? I think I'm taking the Titans here, though. It feels like the Titans either win outright or get blown out, depending on what, the way the game goes. But I, I'd like them to continue to do what they're doing. I don't think Kansas City, with, with or without Chris Jones, will be able to stop Derrick Henry. Hey, Dad, what about you? Titans plus seven. I guess I'm going to be the contrarian here. You know, I think the Chiefs, after last year, are really hungry uh, to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, I feel like it's going to be a, a raucous home environment. And then this Titans run, as, as good as they've played, it, it has a little bit of Cinderella to it, and, and you know, eventually the clock strikes midnight on that. So I think that's going to be today, or uh, so I guess this weekend uh, in Kansas City. Uh, so give me the Chiefs, I'll take, and I'll give the points. You know, I, I kind of lean in that direction with you. I certainly want the uh, want the Titans to win. Would love to see them back in the Super Bowl. I think that would be a cool storyline. Love where you're going with uh, with Derrick Henry, but ultimately, I, you're you're asking me, or, or maybe I'm asking myself, do I want to go with the guy that is currently the best running back on the planet, or do I want to go with the guy that currently is the best quarterback on the planet? And in a quarterback driven league, I'll go with the quarterback. I'll take Pat Mahomes laying the uh, the seven points and uh, see Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Um, so I don't I don't feel strongly about that. Uh, I, I love the idea of you know Titans kind of being a team of destiny and getting it done with defense and everything else. I, I just think it's really hard to pick against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs at home in a really difficult environment for road teams to play in. So I'll take uh, Kansas City and lay the uh, the seven points. And then you've got the Packers at San Francisco. The Packers and Aaron Rodgers are getting seven and a half in this game. Total in this game is lower, significantly lower uh, than the one in the uh, Titans-Kansas City game, 46 and a half. So uh, not expecting nearly as much offense. Uh, Rippy, we'll start with you on this one. Packers getting seven and a half at San Francisco. I think the Niners roll them. I don't think Green Bay will be able to block them up front. And when you rush four and are still getting to Aaron Rodgers, I don't think this will be particularly close. Okay. What about you, Hey Dad? I'm with Rippy on this one. What? A, this, there's just not a lot of name value in this game. You have Aaron Rodgers, but San Francisco is a team that you know. Outside of Garoppolo, I don't know a lot of their players. You know, I know who George Kittle is, and I know Nick Bosa, obviously. Uh, but it, they're just sort of out of nowhere. And uh, But they've been playing well all year. It feels foolish to go against them at home. I'll take the Niners. What's more important in this game, San Francisco's offense or their defense? Probably their defense. And it's been really, really good. What about you, Borky? Packers plus 7.5 or uh, the Niners laying the 7.5 at home? Probably going to regret it, but I'm with these two guys. It just Outside of the quarterback position, and it's not like Garoppolo's bad, um, the 49ers are better everywhere. They have better weapons. They're, uh, I mean, they have the best tight end in the game. They run the ball well. I think their scheme is better. They're just as good, if not better, on the defensive line, although Pack, the Packers rush the passer very well. Uh, 
thanks in part to a former Mississippi State player, but uh, across the board, the 49ers are just better than the Packers, and that was personified when they played each other earlier in the year. I know the playoffs are different, but I think that was more of a sign of the separation between the teams and not an anomaly in the regular season. So I like the 49ers because, I mean, they're just better at every spot. Packers won 28-23 last week at home against Seattle. Niners won 27-10 over Minnesota. Uh, I think San Francisco wins the game. This may be a little bit of a contrarian, or maybe just I don't like the idea of all four of us being on the same side of the game. I'll take the 7.5. I I think ultimately San Francisco wins it, and you get the Kansas City-San Francisco matchup in the uh, the Super Bowl in Miami. But – I think I'll lay seven and a half with the veteran quarterback and Aaron Rodgers. I know Jimmy Garoppolo has been good, but Aaron Rodgers has a knack for coming up pretty big in big games. Is I think it's fair to say that. So I'll take the points begrudgingly. I'll take the seven and a half and uh, and the Packers. So um, we were split two and two on Titans in Kansas City. Uh, The three of you guys have San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. I'll take the other side of that one with the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Those are your Pearl River Resort picks for the weekend brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Check it out the next time you are in the area, anywhere close to uh, Philadelphia, stop by see the Sportsbook and all the uh, good folks there in Philly. We'll get to the college football fix when we come back next with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Time for the college football fix. Let's do that right now. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to their website, buyfordnow.com. doesn't matter where you are. You can go in and then enter your zip code, and it'll take you to your local Mississippi Ford dealer. You can see all the trucks and cars and vans and SUVs that they've got to offer. Be sure to check out the SUVs. I have Ford SUV and drive it like a Ford. Maybe it's the Explorer, maybe it's the Escape, maybe it's the Expedition that you want. That's what uh, my wife drives, plenty of room and a, uh, a great vehicle. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. A couple of college football stories for you here today. Number one, Mississippi State and Mike Leach did uh, the expected with one member of the coaching staff per Bruce Feldman. Mike Leach is retaining assistant coach Tony Hughes. Nobody knows the state of Mississippi better than Tony Hughes, who has been a recruiting force there for a long time. That was the tweet from Bruce Feldman. Hey, Dad, what does this mean for Mississippi State, keeping Tony Hughes on staff? means that you are able to take your new head coach into basically every high school in the state of Mississippi, and there'll be a friendly face traveling with him. And that goes for all the assistant coaches as well. I expect Hughes... I expect Hughes to move to the defensive side of the ball first and foremost because you know he was the tight ends coach under Joe Moorhead. There are no more tight ends at Mississippi State. That's a position that no longer exists. So he'll move over, probably coach safeties. He coached that in his previous tenure at State under Dan Mullen. Um, but from a recruiting standpoint, it was it was sort of a must-have. This is the guy who is widely viewed as the best recruiter in the state of Mississippi. You, you couldn't just let that guy walk away from your staff. He's also widely viewed as a really good dude, and I agree with that sentiment. Um, Last time I talked to Tony Hughes was this summer, 
when uh, Borky, we were uh, we were at Old Waverly for the uh, for the day. We played golf that morning and uh, ran into him in the parking lot. Mississippi State's coaching staff was uh, they had kind of a, a, a golf outing that afternoon for the coaching staff and uh, bumped into Tony in the parking lot. Talked to him for a little while and just a fine human being on top of being a, a really good recruiter and good football coach. Uh, happy for uh, for Tony and his family to be able to stay in uh, in Starkville, and I think it's a good move for Mike Leach. Uh, I, I think, hey, Dad, your point's a good one in that it's a friendly face, but more than just being a friendly face, it's a face that uh, that high school coaches in the state of Mississippi know that they trust. He's done a good job for a long time, and I, I'm not sure that you always get this with with coaches who are considered to be really good recruiters. He's authentic. He's real. It's not you're not getting a bunch of airs put on by Tony Hughes. Just a good dude, and uh, happy for him. And I think a good move by Mike Leach to uh, to keep him on staff. In terms of building out the staff, any more news or momentum or rumblings that you're hearing uh, with regard to uh, to where this thing's headed? We're starting to see some guys. You know, nothing's made it official by MSU just yet, but we're starting to see people pop up. Uh, Steve Spurrier Jr., I mentioned him. He'll be at Mississippi State. Mason Miller, who was the offensive line coach at Washington State, has changed his profile. He's going to be at Mississippi State. Um, it looks like most of the offensive staff is headed down here. Eric, uh, I, I don't know quite how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Malay, uh, who's the running backs coach, is probably making the trip. And then from the defensive side of the ball, you know, they still haven't named a defensive coordinator yet. So beyond Hughes, I don't know what that staff's going to look like. I don't think anybody's going to be retained. So Deke Adams and Terrell Buckley, I don't expect them to be in Starkville next year. Um, and then, you know, they'll see who that's going to be. And then there's been some talk of him bringing his defensive line coach and his cornerbacks coach from Washington State. But I do think he'll, he'll at least hire the defensive coordinator and then see if he wants to go along with those hires or not. Pretty cool move by Mississippi State from a marketing standpoint. They, uh, they, they've they kind of gotten back in the billboard business. There were a bunch of billboards in New Orleans with Mike Leach's picture on them that said, Welcome, Mike. I uh, had the Mississippi State logo on there. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Uh, the Mississippi State football account tweeted uh, a takeover in New York City. Uh, pretty cool way to spin what at one point was disappointment forward and get some publicity out of it. Uh, three digital billboards stacked on the side of a building uh, in uh, New York City that say from uh, state to Sundays, uh, congrats, Joe Judge, and it's got the New York Giants logo on there as well. So uh, kind of a kind of a cool co-opting uh, branding moment there for uh, Mississippi State uh, taking advantage of uh, three of the 6,743 digital billboards in, uh, in New York City. Is that, uh, number, that number sounds low. I will, I will believe that it's accurate if you tell me it is. Uh, roughly, <laughs> give, give or take. It, it might be low, Borky. I mean, you know, have you guys been to Times Square at night? I've never been to New York. Well, if you ever make it, I, I know everybody, you know, Times Square, touristy, whatever. But there is nothing to me that's much cooler that you can just like visually take in anywhere than walking into Times Square at night with all of those video billboards lit up. It's just super cool. So, anyway. My favorite New York pizza place is in Times Square. I thought you'd never been to New York. (sighs) I caught it. Okay. He's quoting the office. Oh, sorry. 
Was it Savor? What is the Savaro? Yeah, Savaro yeah, and uh, Mike Michael Scott and Dan Mullen have something in common. <laughs> sorry. Okay, you this is the part. That? Oh, I'm sorry, but Mullen no, is I was like just going to say this is the part where everybody beats up on me for not getting an office reference, and we roll on. Well, we can move forward. But Mullen is like a huge pizza snob. He would never order like delivery pizza in Starkville. He had a pizza oven out in his backyard and all this, and was very, very particular about it, but then you catch him eating Sabara. Of course Dan Mullen doesn't like delivery pizza. Like that is the least surprising that, weird fact a about a person snob. I've never heard yeah, he was, I've he, ever heard. He, he was just, you know, I don't have a problem in a, you know with some of that, but like, come on. Don't eat Sabaro if you're gonna pull that 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 uh that reputation. Yeah. Um question for you here, hey dad. Ask Brian Haydad if he's heard anything on whether or not Jay Perry is being retained at Mississippi State. Among his duties, his other duties, Jay Perry is the best radio sideline guy in the state. No oh. offense, Richard. That's what uh, the text on the ceasefire text line says. I haven't heard anything about anything regarding MSU and the broadcast team whatsoever. I don't think they were talking about the broadcast team. I think they were talking about whether or not Jay Perry was going to stay in the football operations side of things. I- haven't heard anything about that either. I know that he's hired uh, Dave Emrick as the official title is associate or assistant athletic director for football, but basically he's his chief of staff. And then yeah. he hired. Let me find this woman on uh, on Twitter because I don't know what her, her exact title is. She is the director of player personnel for MSU. Her name is Brittany Thackeray. Both of those people came to him, came with him from Washington State. Okay. Uh, Mike in Oxford says that uh, Tony Hughes staying on at Mississippi State is the same reason that Ole Miss kept Derek Nix. Okay. Hey, man, there may be similar reasons there. Derek Nix also has the uh, ability to survive. He has now been on Houston Nutt's staff, Hugh Freeze's staff, Matt Luke's staff, and Lane Kiffin's staff. It's good for him. What a player he was, too, if you uh, want to rewind Uh, A little bit. Hey, another college football story here. How about this for Georgia? So Sam Pittman was the offensive line coach. He has moved on to be the head coach at Arkansas. Uh, Matt Luke was hired to be the offensive line coach. But they've had some movement. Uh, Apparently Kirby Smart was not pleased with the way the offense looked this year. And Georgia has now added former Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator and former Southern Miss head coach Todd Munkin to the exact same position. You will remember that uh, Munkin has previous NFL experience in addition to his time uh, with Cleveland. I think he spent, all told, eight years uh, in the NFL. He was the head coach, as I mentioned, at Southern Miss. Before that, immediately before that, offensive coordinator on Mike Gundy's staff at Oklahoma State, and they had really, really, really good offenses under him at uh, Oklahoma State. I think he initially inherited Brandon Whedon, and then they just continued to keep it rolling offensively with him. So Todd Munkin spent one season on Freddie Kitchen's staff in Cleveland, and uh, Kevin Stefanski, the new head coach at Cleveland, did not retain him on the staff. It was interesting. I was reading a story today, I think it was from The Athletic, um, that that was a disastrous relationship regardless, that uh, Munkin was hired to be the offensive coordinator, and yet uh, Freddie Kitchens was calling plays on game day. Uh, But... He was kind of just doing whatever felt good. He was not really sticking with the game plan that they put together and worked on all week long as the best way to attack the opponent. 
and just kind of threw it out the window and went with his gut. And uh, the gut did not work out very often for um, for Cleveland this past it year. It never does. Who knows? Maybe if uh, he had let Todd Munkin call plays as opposed to taking that responsibility over himself, he'd still be the head coach. Probably not, uh, but maybe. So uh, Todd Munkin, expected to be the offensive coordinator. They have not specified yet that he's going to be the OC, but it certainly sounds like that is the direction that they're headed at Georgia. Seems like a pretty good hire for uh, Kirby Smart. Georgia assistant coach James Coley is expected to move into a new role on that staff. Take a quick timeout. Be right back. We were talking earlier about the Major League Baseball scandal. There's a little more to this. Jack McDowell, former Cy Young Award winner on Friday, accused Hall of Fame manager Tony La Russa of having a camera-aided sign-stealing system installed when he was with the Chicago White Sox in the late 1980s. McDowell made his Major League debut for the White Sox in 1987, pitched for 12 seasons in the big leagues, never played for La Russa, who was fired by the White Sox during the pre previous year, but in an appearance on WFNZ in Charlotte, the show's called The Mac Attack, Jack McDowell described a system that he said was put in place by La Russa. Here was the quote, we had a system in the old Comiskey Park in the late 1980s. The Gatorade sign out in center had a light. There was a toggle switch in the manager's office and a camera zoomed in on the catcher. I'm going to whistle blow this now because I'm getting tired of this crap. There was that. Tony LaRusso is the one who put it in. He's still in the game, making half a million, you know. No one is going to go after that. It's just this stuff is getting old where they target certain guys and let other people off the hook. What do you make of that? Can't quite figure out what I think about it. Only because... I want so bad, not so bad, I just think what the Astros did, and if any of these additional layers are true, uh, the punishment doesn't seem to be enough. I mean, this is a really big deal, but also, man, if everybody's doing it, then uh, how can I be outraged? It's the same thing with uh, cheating in college football, where uh, some players, their families get a little bit of cash when they decide to go to a school. If everybody does it, why should I care? Especially when it's... Uh, seemingly innocent on this level but if the Astros weren't the only ones if it's such a large scheme to the point where we were doing it decades ago before the advancement in technology that we have now why should I care at this point Jack McDowell alleged in the radio interview that the next day's starting pitcher would sit in the manager's office watch the catcher signals, and would alert White Sox batters with the light in the Gatorade sign. He was quoted as saying, I've never said anything about the old system we had because once we got to the new Comiskey in 1991, I didn't know if there was one or not. There were rumors that we had one, but it wasn't as out there as the first one was where they forced the pitcher who was pitching the next day to go in there and flip on the toggle switch and stuff. He went on to say, you know how it used to be, Ted? If they were stealing signs from second base, you just had the catcher call a breaking ball and then throw your fastball off someone's neck and just say, oh, 
You're going to keep trying to pick up signs, guys? What's it going to be? There's ways to go around it. Players could police it back in the day. But now, if you throw a ball six inches inside, you're almost thrown out of the game immediately and everybody wants to fight. Back in the day, it was like, you want to steal signs? Yeah, that helmet better be working right now. Sounds like an old guy just Hmm. grumpy and wanting to get in the mix. Yeah, but is he going to make something up to the extent of there was a light-up sign with a toggle switch in the manager's office? I'm not saying it's not true. I think Jack McDowell's – well, yeah, but but the bigger point that Jack McDowell was making, I think, was they selectively go after guys. They don't go after everybody. Nobody's going after Tony LaRusso. He's still a special assistant with the Los Angeles Angels organization, making half a million a year. But if they don't like you – or if they don't like a particular guy, they'll go after him and try to make an example of him. Is it selective enforcement, or is this... Yeah, who have they made an example of, though, I guess would be my question. Like, to Porky's point, it's just kind of come uncovered with the Mike Fierce thing and sign-stealing and all of that, and, like, like, are they making an example out of it, or they've just been so behind this is where they're starting? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I do I guess know you'll that figure that out when it ends. It. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, are we doing? I mean, are we treading in the area of like the, the Black Sox scandal? I mean, is this going I mean, to get when, that big? But, but wider spread. I mean, this is multiple teams. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and the Black Sox are so interesting because, like, Shoeless Joe, for example, still not in the Hall of Fame, had his best series ever and one that he was apparently trying to lose on purpose. Do you believe that? Don't you have a friend or, or my best friend. something that has ties to the... Best man in my wedding's name is Joe Jackson, direct descendant i've got to put on this uh world series ring and everything the hall of fame calls them all the time asking for stuff and the answer is always uh absolutely not is that on display anywhere or is it just kind of private collection there's a a shoeless joe museum uh, in greenville where i grew up because he played uh textile mill ball there at first that's how he got his start i mean think about the stories of athletes getting their start now versus back then uh, so was that uniforms? a ball made out of linen flax? Ah, <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a, a small museum at the the minor league park there, uh, just uh, about Shoeless Joe and his. But they've got all the important stuff, the expensive stuff and the valuable stuff. They've all got that uh, in a secure location because the the value on that is unfathomable. It's gloves, it's cleats, it's bats, jerseys, everything that the Hall of Fame would want, they've got secured somewhere. Hmm. I think you know where and you're not telling us. I do know where. Uh, it, man, that was the, the coolest sports moment I've ever had was getting to, to see all of that stuff. And I'm not even a big baseball guy, but it's just something about it where it's like these sacred items that the Hall of Fame wants, but since they won't let them in, they, they don't get to have. But still, statistically, he yeah. had his best series as a professional. And that was the series that they claimed that he lost on purpose. So, what? I'm not trying to dig too deep, but I'm fascinated by this. 
his family, his descendants, I mean, obviously they've studied up on this and read more and, you know, know everything about it. How, how do they feel about it? Do they think that he was involved in the cheating scandal or do you they think that he was wrongly accused? Well, of, of course they think he was wrongly accused, but it's kind of funny. They actually kind of embrace it now because that's the only way people are still talking about their family member is because of the scandal, because of not being in the Hall of Fame. That, so they're they get to tell stories and people get to talk to them and they have something to relate. You know, it's it's constantly talked about because of the scandal. If he was found not guilty, air quotes, and was in the Hall of Fame, would anybody be talking about Shoeless Joe Jackson anymore? No, probably not. So it they, they say it kind of keeps him around. Is it this summer that the Field of Dreams game is happening? Yes, it is. I really want to go to that. I wonder what tickets will cost for that game. August 13th, 2020. An 8,000-seat state, only 8,000 seats for Yankees-White Sox in Iowa. Hmm. That'd be a heck of a road trip, wouldn't it, Borky? Oh, it would. So they have not uh, announced where you can buy tickets yet. Uh, that will happen at some point during the season. They will release ticket information. So, like, you can't even see what a price is on a secondary market. I'm sure that hasn't stopped secondary markets from putting them out there. Oh, I'm sure. But, yeah, they haven't released that info yet. I cannot imagine what the prices would be. Here, ooh, here's a question. More expensive ticket. Cheapest seat in the Super Bowl this year or cheapest seat at the Field of Dreams game? Do you know what face value on upper deck Super Bowl tickets is this year? 1750. No, no, no. No, 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 no. $3,000. Wow. Face value Upper Deck Super Bowl. $3,000. Four years ago, those were like $1,500 tickets. Ooh. That's like the national championship game tickets. They just keep, I, I mean, I guess you just push the prices until you finally get to a point where they don't sell. And then you go, okay, we pushed them too far. We'll pull them back in a little bit. But but what what impetus does the college football playoff or the NFL have for not continuing to raise ticket prices when they continue to sell? You know, with Super Bowl, it's kind of a corporate event. That was not corporate at all in New Orleans on Monday night. It was as collegiate as collegiate can get, and there was not a seat to be found.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.